1: Welcome to Trailblazers, I'm Ricky Swannell. Each week myself and Kirsty Stanway go one-on-one in-depth with our top Kiwi sportswomen, coaches and administrators. My guest this week is a four-time Olympian. Luca Jones went to Beijing as an 18-year-old becoming our first ever canoe slalom paddler at a Games. She then went to London, Rio and most recently Tokyo and of course highlighted by a silver medal at the 2016 Olympics. Luca Jones, welcome to Trailblazers.
0: Thanks, Ricky. It's great to be here.
1: <laughs> You're home after, what, well, five months away, Um, obviously including the, the Tokyo Olympics. When a season, an international season like that comes to an end, is it almost a, a bit of a pressure valve release? So what does it feel like at the end of a time like this?
0: Yeah, it was a really interesting season and certainly a big one. And I think having, you know, not travelled in 2020... um. I found it quite exciting, but yeah, coming back to New Zealand, you kind of have this feeling that, oh, it's all over and, you know, it's another six months until the next season starts, so it's definitely a time to kind of decompress.
1: How do you reflect back um, on the Olympics and the campaign that you had in Tokyo?
0: Yeah, I have really mixed feelings about it, I guess. You know, at the moment in MIQ, we're going through all of the debrief processes, so you know debriefing the season debriefing the entire last five years and I found the process quite difficult actually I think after Tokyo you know I went back to Europe and kind of tried to just move on from it I found Tokyo so disappointing in terms of not achieving you know what I felt I was capable of and and what what I trained for essentially so Yeah, I kind of just moved on to the next race and then going through the debriefs, I had to really think about what went wrong. And, um, yeah, I guess it dragged up a few things. Yeah,
1: because I guess that's the thing, isn't it, right? We watch on at the Olympics and we think, well, that's it. That's the year, right? But so many of you all carry on. There's still so many of the Kiwi athletes who are around Europe, possibly because some of them can't actually get home at the moment. But, you know, it, it doesn't end so... How do you reset and try and carry on after you say, like, that, that disappointment that you had in Tokyo?
0: Yeah, I guess when I got back to Europe, I had a little bit of time off and went on a holiday. And then, you know, I felt less pressure for those races at the end of the year. Tokyo was the main event for me. And I guess the races afterwards were just a bit of a bonus. But I still had some goals, you know, I I wanted to do well in the World Cup overall, and I wanted to just see what performances I could put down, I I finished C1, I stopped doing that class, so I was kind of just focused on uh, K1, and also started competing in extreme slalom, so yeah, it was quite interesting in terms of some new things going on as well.
1: What um what were some of the things that you've kind of pinpointed from from Tokyo? Because I think was it the semifinals? You had a storming semifinal um and then couldn't quite string it together on on the final. What do you look back on and see or change or you know, when you have to delve into it all? It must <laughs> be kind of painful at times too. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I mean hindsight is always 2020 as well. But um I guess, you know, listening to Emma's podcast, you know, she' She kind of had everything sorted in her life, you know. She was really grounded and I think as an athlete, you know, if you're going out to try and win a medal to make your life better or to try and justify some of the sacrifices that you're making in your life, then it often doesn't end, like, turn out well. Um, And I think for me I was kind of doing that. You know, I'd made a few sacrifices that – yeah, I guess I, I felt maybe I was putting my life on hold a little bit and then that added more pressure to the event in Tokyo, whereas I think maybe if I'd sorted those things out a bit more, um, it would have helped just to alleviate some of that pressure.
1: Is that something that as you get older too, particularly for a female athlete, you do find that you, you are having to make life sacrifices while friends are probably getting married, buying houses, doing all of those things. You're, you know, trying to chase this ultimate dream.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting being a female athlete. I think you feel like you've got this limited window of time to kind of fit a lot of things in. Um, Yeah, and I guess you know I'm kind of committed to another Olympic cycle now and yeah it just delays a few things if I did want to have children I'm not sure if I do but if I did you know time's running out a little bit.
1: It's a shorter cycle though this year this time around you're all good we're only three years away from doing it again.
0: (laughs) Yeah I think that's why I'm doing it. (laughs)
1: it's interesting that 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 discussion about you know female and having kids and and knowing whether it's right or what whether it's something you want to do is that something that you the the cohort of our top females do you guys discuss that together or who do you talk about that sort of thing with
0: yeah i mean to be honest i haven't really spoken to many people about it. I have some friends in Kino Slalom, um, who are around the same age as me and we have discussions around that. But yeah, to be honest, it's not something that I've had an in-depth conversation with anyone about, except for my Nana when she's kind of... <laughs> Adding pressure on me to get some oh, yeah. grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Good one. Yeah. yeah always the families. Um, yeah. You mentioned the, the couple of other disciplines. So you decided to have a go at the C1 as well in this Olympic cycle. Um, it was a new uh, event for women. They've really worked to make a good gender balance in the Olympic Canoe Asylum. Hindsight, do you think, oh, I wish I hadn't gone on the had I got the C one and put all my eggs back in the in the K1 basket, or how do you feel about the C one now? Because it aside from the fact it looks really hard. It's very
0: difficult. Not great for the <laughs> knees. Um yeah, I think, you know, my C one campaign kind of started off really well in the in 2017 when I first started, I was getting good results at the World Cups. So I was making finals. Um but then in 2018, I just started to struggle. I think there were a few equipment issues and then I kind of just lost my confidence. And in 2019, um, yeah, I was really on the fence as to whether, keep, whether to keep going or not. I felt it was slightly compromising my K1, but also it complements it as well. And you get, you know, at a race, you get twice the racing experience. So, yeah, I I guess I just decided to keep at it but in hindsight maybe it would have been better just to focus on k1 mm. and now and you, you mentioned the other one the uh,
1: extreme so that's now going to be an olympic discipline just explain that um to to how that one works because that one looks like hardcore just a bit of fun and a bit of pain and everything all a bit of chaos <laughs> as well
0: it's so crazy. I mean, you know, in slalom, you're racing your own race. In extreme slalom, you're launching off a ramp with three other people and you're all just battling head to head down this course. And, you know, there's paddles flying everywhere. You're crashing into people's boats to try and jostle for position. And, you know, I think it's going to put a strain on the canoe slalom community's friendships by the time we get to Paris. <laughs> but yeah, essentially, it's like. Ski cross or water cross, it's four people racing down the river at the same time. You don't have like the traditional slalom poles, you just have some inflatable kind of poles that you have to go around. So it'll be two upstreams and like maybe three downstreams. And they have an Eskimo rolling zone as well. And it literally is like the in the rounds, it's the first two people cross the finish line get to go through. So yeah, it's wild. Yeah
1: is it um is it just you just go for it like how how much more tactical or um comparison is there tactics or is it just just go hardcore
0: yeah there are tactics and I'm still kind of getting my head around them a little bit um every water course is different and it depends where they put the gates as to like what the tactics are Um, But certainly, you know, off the start, like you could be the first person coming into one of the upstream gates, which is great to be in front, but then someone can come in and like push you into the wall and kind of overtake you. So yeah, you kind of sometimes got to hold back, which is counterintuitive, like at the world chance, I probably should have held back a little bit more, but you just had this instinct to go like guns blazing off the start once you hit the water off the ramp.
1: And are the courses, like, is it still sort of like the same width of a course that that you would see a K1, so that, except that there's four of you going down at the same time into a very confined
0: space? Yeah, so it's exactly the same courses we race on in Slalom. Um, yeah, so there's not much room for four people to get down. Is it the sort of thing, though, that, as
1: you say, when you were kind of, like, having gone to four olympics and now committing to another cycle is that the sort of thing that could maybe freshen you up a little bit perhaps how you thought the c1 might that didn't work out but this one being slightly different just gives you that little fresher kind of element
0: yeah absolutely and there's not as much kind of um i guess you know in the extreme salmon paddling plastic kayaks which is different but essentially the techniques are similar you know you just have to be a good kayak paddler to do well in the discipline and then and learn the tactics. So, I think it's really exciting, actually, to have a, a different discipline to kind of break down and and learn, and just try and be really good at.
1: As you go do this, go and plan to do this again. Can you, I guess, describe what the intensity of an Olympic campaign is, and how it maybe ramps up over the as as those games get closer and closer each time?
0: Yeah, I mean. I guess it's nice straight after an Olympic Games you get some time to just refresh and reset and, you know, I'm going to Rotorua after this until the end of the year just to do some cross-training and to, yeah, just have a mental break because, yeah, as as it draws closer to an Olympic Games, you know, every race and every training session you're kind of banking yourself against, you know, how, like, what's your form like? um, What do you need to improve on? And you're just constantly thinking about the games and um, yeah just how to be in the best possible shape when you get there and I think I mean it's obviously a balance you don't want to be thinking about it too much and I was thinking about it every day for like the two years leading into Tokyo Um, but yeah just everything kind of ramps up and you're just looking for those tiny little improvements every day. Was it different?
1: Uh, that inten- that mental intensity going into Tokyo compared to Rio. Going into Tokyo, you are an Olympic medalist. You were an Olympic medalist. You still are an Olympic medalist. Um, whereas Rio, the expectation wasn't quite there. Uh, that from from the public, from maybe the rest of uh, the, the community. You obviously had it on yourself. Was that a different in feeling? And in in, because of that intensity,
0: yeah, absolutely. It's always nice to be the underdog and to kind of just slide in there and know personally that you can do well um but no one really expects it and that that was Rio I really enjoyed the experience and I just had this quiet confidence whereas in Tokyo I really put pressure on myself to perform because I knew I could and I knew I was absolutely capable of being on that podium of even winning the Olympics so yeah it was a totally um different mindset going in Hmm. Well, we will take a quick break here on scnz
1: we're listening you're you're with our trailblazers luca jones is my guest we're talking about olympic canoe slalom and we'll go right back shortly welcome back to trailblazers on scnz i'm ricky Swanell and my guest is four-time olympian canoe slalom paddler luca jones luca i want to go right back how did you start in this sport
0: yeah uh it was kind of crazy my grandparents bought a farm next to the White Ore River and just down the road was this this kayaking adventure park run by Barbara and Barry and my parents kind of sent me down there for some swimming lessons in Barbara's pool and that progressed to kind of kayaking lessons at the park and then you know they offered me a a job essentially and helping out around the park in exchange for kayaking lessons and it kind of just all went from there I just Loved it. I spent every minute of my spare time just down at Waimarino in kayaks or helping people out around the park.
1: Yeah, I mean, most people from Todonga or the Bay of Plenty region know Waimarino. Um, I from there, we our school camp was there. Um, I think intermediate, yeah, intermediate school camp. Uh, Otago intermediate. You always used to go to Waimarino. How amazing! Uh, that family and that facility that they have created and given to the community oh like I'm a bit older than you um over so many years
0: yeah it is incredible and you know they had a dream of creating this facility and um just teaching people how to kayak and they turn that into a reality and they've just helped so many people kind of get out in a kayak and maybe overcome their fears in the water and they're just such a supportive family you know I still get emails from them um just wishing me luck for, for every race.
1: Do they still have the um was it called like the flush and fly and they'd flush a button and you'd go down a ramp in a kayak and off the end?
0: <laughs> yeah That's they do. <laughs> yeah, I went there um at the beginning of this year actually and I hadn't been to Waimuruna in ages and I went down the kayaks. Like, I think I went down five times. It was so much fun just shooting out into the river in a kayak. And I remember working down there and Barry would get his megaphone out and he'd create all these crazy challenges. And I was always the one to, like, show people how to do those challenges. You know, it might be trying to paddle a barrel across the river or doing some sort of tricks off the high diving board. And, yeah, it was always so much fun.
1: It's the coolest place. I know they do like birthdays and stuff like that there. It's it's amazing. With the rest of your family, um, so you got sisters, haven't you? Did everyone else get into it or was this just your thing?
0: Yeah, I have three younger sisters and they all tried it. You know, we'd always have our birthday parties down there. But yeah, they never really enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, they were into kind of dancing and singing and kind of the dramas, those sorts of things and my younger sister she was into different sports so yeah kayaking just became my thing which it would have been cool if it was more of a family sport for us but at the same time you know I know people who have to compete against their brothers and sisters for spots on the team and it's nice not to be competing with them as as well.
1: They must have been really supportive though of of you as this this obviously started to progress.
0: Yeah, they're they're so supportive of me. And I think, like, my parents kind of just let me do kayaking. They didn't put any pressure on me to try and perform in the sport or anything. You know, I had to clean my bedroom before I was allowed to go training. So, you know, they kind of kept me grounded. and, And I think as a result, you know, I was really intrinsically motivated and just wanting to work hard. And they'd just support me in whatever I wanted to do. Yeah. At what point, Luca, did it become
1: from a a school holiday job, mucking around in the water, learning new things, and to, oh, I'm actually got quite a bit of aptitude for this and I'm going to compete and train and do all of those other things?
0: Yeah, I mean, when I was a teenager, we'd, like, um, have a training program and we'd be out before school, like, training on the Wairua River and we'd go away on weekends to Kaurau and the Kaituna to, like, just go kayaking basically, but I don't think any of us really understood what was required in the sport. You know, we were training, but we weren't actually doing the type of training that would make you good at canoe slalom. So I think when I went to the Junior Worlds in Slovenia in 2006, like it was a massive trip to go over to Europe to compete, and I think we all thought that we were pretty good (laughs) because, you know, we were like the best in New Zealand and, yeah, we went over there and basically got smashed. Like I had a good run for me at the junior Worlds, and I was still like out the back of the field. And I remember just coming on the plane on the way home. I was like, wow, you know, I have a long way to go if I want to be good at this sport. And I guess that was the moment where I felt I needed to make a decision whether to commit to canoe salam and to try and get better. And to do that, you know, I needed to move overseas and to be in a different environment um, or whether to go to university and kind of pursue that path and obviously I so how did you slalom.
1: yeah sorry you, yeah you basically yeah I mean fair enough because yeah, you went what at what 17 I mean you were 18 at Beijing or around 18 to go so 2008 so what about 17 you went over to the UK
0: Yeah, I finished school and I I got home from the Journey Worlds and I said to my parents, I'm going to move to Nottingham next year and train with the British Canoe Slalom team. They were like, okay, cool. And then halfway through the summer I was still mucking around and mum said, Luca, I thought you were going to Nottingham. And I was like, yeah, I am. She was like, well, you better start saving. Like, how are you going to get there? (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah, true. So I like – yeah, I got three jobs, and I just worked so hard to get over there. Um, but it was actually, yeah, the best decision I've ever made to go over to Nottingham and to be in that environment and, yeah, d- just to train with some of the best paddlers in the world. But, yeah, I was young, and it was really scary. I knew one person in Nottingham, basically, and that one person picked me up from the airport and helped me out a lot. Um, but, yeah, I, w- I think back now – and. I yeah it was such a a bold decision to fly across the other side of the world with my kayak to try and get better at the sport
1: yeah and brave parents and um, amazing parents to go okay well this is what she wants to do well we better send her off
0: yeah and I remember like there were a lot of tears at the airport um but yeah I I'm so grateful to them that they just kind of encouraged me to go over there and follow my dreams so you
1: you were then um not long later you went to the olympics the 2008 the beijing olympics and you became our first um canoe slalom athlete and then what was that experience as an 18 year old is it was it almost of a case well you don't know what you don't know at that age so you just sort of roll with it a bit
0: yeah absolutely i was so naive and just yeah not really sure what to expect but um Sarah Ulmer and Hamish Carter were actually like over there as kind of athlete support people and they were so good to me they like took me under their wing and just kind of supported me and I was clearly young and just not really at the stage of being an elite athlete either I kind of qualified through the Oceania spot and it was quite unexpected actually so yeah I was just in awe of everyone over there who you know were kind of at the top of their sports and really going out there to compete. And, yeah, I mean, obviously it was just an experience for me being in Beijing, but it was quite life-changing in that I left just feeling so fired up and motivated to want to, you know, stand on the podium at the Olympics and just to be a full-time athlete in, in canoe slalom.
1: What was the, I mean, there's probably more than one thing, but what was it from there that you thought this is where I really need to do it, like really need to make the strides or I need to commit to staying in Europe or, you know, uni might be out the window? Was there any kind of one thing or was it just that combination?
0: I mean, to be honest, nothing really changed for me even though I made that decision because still at that stage, I just didn't really understand what was required in the sport and I was putting so much effort in but probably not getting the rewards just because I wasn't going about things in the right way. But um, having been to Beijing kind of opened up an opportunity to join a sports academy in Rotorua. I joined Wairiki, which um, they were a polytech and... Yeah, joined the Sports Academy and, and started getting some more support there, you know, like S&C and some physiology support. And we were doing testing and stuff and still going to Europe for like six months a year to compete over there and train. Um, but we, what was missing was kind of that direction and like a, a coach essentially to kind of take charge of that program and to sit us down and be like, you're kind of, you know, doing this not the right way basically um yeah and just to kind of tell us what we could focus on more just to get more out of ourselves
1: who who is the us who are the who are the other people that you were training with and who were also trying to get there at the time because it's a I mean it still is a relatively small sport in New Zealand terms and and you were kind of like this all of a sudden the 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 public face of canoe
0: slalom um there were like Mike Dawson And some other paddlers, my friend Louise, um, we'd travel everywhere together. So yeah, there was like a small group of us, um, all kind of from the Bay of Plenty area, all training at the Kaituna together. So yeah, we were like, it was a really cool sort of environment um, with us all being friends and kind of just doing these cowboy trips to Europe. Um, But yeah, it definitely wasn't high performance. (laughs) and were you still working working the three jobs and and all
1: of that at the same time or did you actually go to uni
0: no I started studying at Wairiki and then I was also working there as like an administrator for the sports academy and like working at the cafe there as well so I had a couple of jobs but it was always such a stress actually to like save up the 10 to fifteen thousand dollars needed to go to Europe and like throughout that whole time my credit card was just maxed out (laughs) and it was like I remember years where I'd be trying to pay for excess baggage in Europe to get back to New Zealand and my card would just be declining because it was like just fully maxed out I literally had no money and I guess like in the end the advantage is you don't have to pay for excess baggage because you physically can't but at the same time it's so stressful to then go back to New Zealand and have to like you know start saving up again pay off that debt and also to try and save for the next year
1: would the airlines just go well you're like I literally can't pay it so they'll be like okay
0: well we just be like we have this tactic and I guess you can get away with it when you're young I couldn't do that now but you just cry you're just like try and make a bit of a scene and be like I just have no money like please like we just can't afford to like pay excess baggage because literally every dollar counted and it was genuinely like a grievance to have to pay anything extra but often we did get away with it actually
1: amazing I love it hold that thought we will come back with more with Luca Jones on SENZ Trailblazers in a moment Luca Jones is my guest on Trailblazers today. Luca, we were talking about um, your resourcefulness and, and getting around the world and, and saving your money and starting from scratch. At, at what point did you get any funding, any Sport NZ funding to, for your next campaigns?
0: Um, the first time I got it was actually I did the World Rafting Championships in 2014 and we ended up Um, coming second and I got some sort of small pegs grant and I put all of that towards, um, oh, it wasn't 2014, it was like 2011 and I put all of that towards my canoe slalom. But it wasn't until 2013, like the year after the London Olympics, that Mike and I had an opportunity to be supported by High Performance Sport New Zealand and it was just for one year. We basically told, you know, this is your opportunity, here's some money, here's some support. Um, but you have to achieve these results in order for it to continue. So that's that like campaign funding as such, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So I I was kind of scrambling to find a coach and um, ended up, um, yeah, linking in with Campbell Walsh, who had just kind of retired from paddling himself and realized he didn't want a career in investment banking because it was pretty full on so yeah it kind of worked out well that he was free and kind of interested in taking on this one-year project and then I also started working with like a team of sports providers from HPSNZ and you know one of them um Caroline just took me under her wing and kind of helped me through that whole process of kind of trying to transition from you know um just being kind of an amateur athlete into this high-performance sport program. Um, And at the same time, actually, I decided to move to Cambridge because I'm quite big on environments and just being in the right environments to kind of inspire you to be better. So I actually moved in with some of the rowers. I moved in with Twiggy and Scown and Lucy Spores, and I just wanted to kind of learn more about how to be an elite athlete and they were you know an excellent example of that
1: <laughs> it doesn't get much better than the twig and, and Rebecca Scowen who got you know they, they yeah. they've gone right. what how because i guess we sort of part of what we see with kayaking is that that free element to it so how do you how do you kind of let that side go a little bit to become a high performance athlete olympic focused
0: yeah i think what i learned is that like you you know canoe slalom and rowing are very different um but you know all of your off-water processes need to be really in line you know like your nutrition your recovery and then on the water you know you're still kind of going through these processes of trying to learn skills and be better at them to be able to repeat them Um, so yeah I guess you're trying to like Be really rigid with all your processes, but then at the end of the day, you kind of need to, towards a race, transition from that, like, purposeful practice into that flow state. And I think it's probably similar in, like, you know, snowboarding or mountain biking Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, You really need to be in that flow state for things to just be happening naturally. And you can't be too rigid when you're out on the water. You need to just be free and reactive. And it's really hard, actually, to get into that state sometimes.
1: Was that, so was that uh, 2013, was that the first time you'd had a a coach as well, like a proper HP coach in Campbell?
0: Yeah, I'd worked with some coaches, but just for like short amounts of time. Um, but yeah this was the first time and it was difficult because I guess I developed kind of all of these habits and I had to break some of them down and just go back to the start which you know I think I was 25 or 26 at the time and yeah it was really difficult just to kind of undo a lot of the things I'd been working on and then build back up again but it was absolutely the best kind of approach for me and I remember that year I needed to finish in the top 16 at the world championships and it was a really stressful kind of time because you know if I didn't achieve that I wouldn't achieve I wouldn't get more support towards the Rio Olympics which were the ultimate goal Um, but Caroline and my sports psychologist um, Kylie like they just really kind of grounded me into focusing on the processes and what I can control and you know I did that and then ended up achieving my goal of 16th at the World Championships.
1: Yeah, because I, I guess that's the thing, right? Like, there's always a lot of talk about how the funding model works and the pressure that it can put on. And, and I guess you're an example of how that campaign funding has worked, but it still is really stressful. So uh, you know, I guess uh, it's tricky for you, I know, because you're still reliant on these people to fund you, <laughs> yeah. but how is your your, your view on, on that system, you um, which is very results medals focused. It's it's really tricky.
0: Yeah, it is. And I guess because I did just manage to achieve those results when I needed to, um, it's worked out okay for me. But, you know, I often think, what if I was on the wrong side of that result? You know, what if I was 17th instead of 16th? Would I even be here? And I think, yeah, it is really cutthroat. And I think maybe some athletes haven't thrived in that environment Um, I think especially when you're developing and you kind of need to be able to make mistakes and your only event that counts in the year is the world championships or the Olympics as your pinnacle event Um, it adds a lot of pressure and I think as you get older as well um, it's kind of the living grant or the, the performance grant that is on your mind as well you know like just what if I can't what if I have to get a job next year and have to put all my energy into that? It will definitely compromise what I'm trying to do and, you know, performing at the Olympic Games. So there's a lot of pressure, but also I kind of like that pressure as well and having, you know, quite a tight target to have to perform too.
1: Yeah, that, I guess that's the thing too. And there's been so much, and we talked about it with with Twiggy and, and her podcast about – um the, the, the scrutiny that is coming on that high performance system and the Cambridge system and all of that. But, you know, I guess it's... Not everything fits in the same box, right? Everybody is different.
0: Yeah, and I guess being able to kind of judge sports on an individual basis as well and to kind of maybe sometimes remove that result but look at, you know, the whole picture and how the athlete is progressing through their sports career, where are they at, what's their potential. Um, But, yeah, absolutely there's so much scrutiny and so much pressure on, you know, just trying to make the cut. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So it it worked, though, because you then went on to Rio. And I think from from memory, had had you spent quite a lot of time in Rio prior and were very comfortable there?
0: Yeah, I'd spent, I think, 12 weeks in Rio prior to the Games on different training camps. And I felt so kind of comfortable with the culture and the environment. And I think it's interesting coming into an Olympic Games there's always something that kicks off and in 2016 it was the Zika virus and maybe the like water quality hygiene and stuff like that but I've been to Rio so much I just didn't even worry about those things and it felt like a second home to me and I think that's really important to really embrace a place and when you feel comfortable there you're just kind of in your your element and yeah I just loved Rio I loved yeah, just the people and the culture and the environment, and also the games. Just yeah, I felt really comfortable on the course and comfortable that you know I could perform when it counted. Well, you definitely
1: did because you basically had the run of your life in that final. Um, are you able to still remember it vividly, or is it that memory started to blur, or is it stick? Has it stuck right in the brain?
0: Yeah, I think. It's still really clear to me, and I think, you know, I was good through all of the rounds in Rio. I was just on form, and I'd done a lot of work mentally around, you know, trying to stay in the moment and really just kind of embrace where I was. And I'd done a lot of mindfulness as well. I just remember sitting on the start line feeling really calm, and I Like, looking back, the commentator was like, it looks like she's about to fall asleep, and it does because I was just in this, like, good zone. And, you know, I think one of my key things was to just not be afraid of failing, and I think, you know, when you're open to failing and you're open to, you know, maybe I'm not going to make it or maybe I'm going to make mistakes, then you can be free. Um, And I just was, and I just remember, like, I don't know, just – getting to the finish line and looking at the time and just being like, wow, you know, it was, it was amazing. And and then uh, I think
1: there was still a couple of goals, and then, and then, I think Jess Fox had a, a penalty and all of that. And it just all sort of came <laughs> together really. And then you've got Mike and the others diving <laughs> diving and all of that. It must be such a, a happy, fond, Time of
0: your life. It was. And it was so cool to have Mike there and um, the Nicholas's as well, who I grew up yeah. with. And yeah, it was incredible. I remember the weight from when I came down um, to basically the end of the event and realizing that I had a medal and then that I had a silver medal and just the emotions. I couldn't believe it. And I guess as well, like the year before was such a tough year because I'd lost Louise. And I guess, like as well, I'd kind of gone out to do it for her and to try and, you know, um, make her proud. So yeah, it was cool.
1: Oh, we'll take a break and we'll come back and if you don't mind, yeah. have a have a chat about that. If that's mm-hmm. cool, awesome. Luca Jones is my guest on Trailblazers, Rio Olympics silver medalist, four time canoe slalom Olympian. We've been chatting today uh, on ECNZ to Luca Jones on Trailblazers, a four-time Olympian and Olympic silver medalist in, in Rio 2016. You've mentioned Lou a couple of times, and uh, if you're happy to to talk about her, um, she was a, a dear friend who was who you lost in a kayaking accident in twenty early 2016, or was it like uh, 2015?
0: 2015. Yeah, 2015. Uh, tell me about Lou. Um, Lou was like. Like, we've been friends since we met at our first slalom nationals, like, back in, uh, I don't know, when, maybe 2002, (laughs) and we had always, like, been competitive because we're the same age, our birthdays are only, like, 10 days apart, so... Yeah, we've always kind of been competitors, but we've also been friends and we've just had so many kind of fun adventures together. (laughs) Um, Like I remember at our first junior development tour, like Lou and I, we had this buddy system and Lou and I were buddies, but inevitably we both got left behind by the team bus because, you know, we were playing table tennis and we hadn't realized that everyone else had left. And so... We ended up like grabbing a kayak, hitchhiking through a vineyard in Australia and like down to the river and paddling across and like no one could really believe it that we'd actually made it down to training on time. It, It was just a different route and yeah, there are so many stories like that of Lou and I just kind of traveling around through Europe together on adventures and yeah, she was such a cool person, just so high on life and, you know, always kind of out. To just make the most of every day, and when she finished asylum, actually, I'd like live vicariously through her because <laughs> she'd be out and in, in the states, you know, like pursuing these massive rivers and paddling off waterfalls, and like going to parties, and yeah, it was just a really cool life that she led. Sometimes, is it just sometimes you just meet a person and and
1: you and you click together?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it was definitely that case with Lou. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So she she died in a, in a kayak accident on, on the Kaituna. And, you know, there are um, so many elements of your sport that are dangerous when you look at that white water side and that free, wonderful side that you all chase. Did her death change your relationship with the sport or how you felt about
0: kayaking or anything like that? Um, I know it definitely changed it for a lot of people like especially in the Orkari Falls community you know the Mm. people who were really kind of pushing the limits um it became kind of less attractive you know when you lose someone really close to you and I think I definitely lost my love of paddling rivers for a while um but I think also it really inspired me to like live a bit more like Lou I was so kind of like strict and stringent with things and kind of let go a lot of opportunities that actually I could have done and they wouldn't have impacted my sport. So I think she inspired me just to, like, get out and live a little bit more and do a few more things. And I remember the next year, like, in Nottingham, I was there and I was having a hard time. Um, But I just think, like, what would Lou be doing? And, like, Lou would be out there just, like, getting things, you know. So I'd, like, book into courses and just try and, like, do a few more things with my life. Yeah.
1: Did 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 it contribute to to how you performed in Rio and maybe having that kind of almost like a bit bit of a zen like feel about that performance and and all of that having her having her there somewhere?
0: Yeah, and I think you know I don't know, like I remember on the start line like speaking to Lo and being like, please Lo, just help me out here, like have my back, and yeah, like I, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, like I could hear a voice in my head like, yeah, and just kind of having my back. And, yeah, it's just it was a special friendship for sure. Thank you. Thank
1: (laughs) you for being so open uh, and talking about her because she seemed like a very cool lady for sure. Yeah, she Um, was. Yeah, yeah. Do you get back on? The, did you get back on the river though? Do you still do that? Like you said, you're going to go after this down to down to Rotorua and and just paddle and have some fun.
0: Yeah, and it's so cool down there. Like we have a really good group of female kayakers, and we all just kind of go out and have fun together on the river. And it's really special, actually. Like in adventure sports, when you have such a strong group of female um females to just go out paddling with and to do
1: you know, high level stuff with, yeah. Yeah, I watched that Mad Blumen film that Mike and the guys did the River Runner stuff and like, I, and my family used to live near the, the Kaituna and I'd watch the Rafters go over and I, I like, do you, how do you overcome the fear factor of some of that? Because it
0: gives me the heebies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's, you kind of normalize it after a while but certainly Mm. you know like there's the trout pool waterfall at the bottom of the kaitona and the consequences if you don't get the line right uh, that you'll get dragged back in and have not a good time in there so yeah like before running that for the first time like you're sitting in the eddy and your heart rate's up at like 180 but you're not moving because yeah it's just the adrenaline um coursing through you and then once you've paddled the waterfall and you've got the line right like it's such a good feeling and I think that's probably the addictive side of extreme sports is like you do you overcome something and then you get addicted to that feeling
1: what else um what else do you like to do we know that you're like physically amazing in the gym and all of that but what 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 is life like outside when you when you eventually are allowed to get back to it hopefully soon um do do you like do you like to do and, and where do you want to go
0: yeah I mean that's something I've been thinking about for a while now is like what is life after sport and I have a lot of different hobbies you know I like playing the guitar I like graphic design but I also like doing kind of outdoors stuff um and I'm kind of interested at the moment in studying psychology because I'm really interested in that side of things. And I guess it's a, a really important part of sport. So yeah, I think I'll keep studying. I've got a business degree and yeah, I think I'll just kind of continue to study and see if I like pursuing psychology.
1: I guess because sport can open up so many different avenues, right? Like he, he, I, we I believe too often we define and put athletes into this is the box, but
0: there are so many
1: transferable skills, and and you're open to so many different opportunities.
0: Yeah, I mean, you spend every day just trying to like get better at something, and you're really dedicated and committed to projects and see them through. So I think yeah, athletes have a lot of transferable skills, and also you know we're really open to learning and and to being challenged and to receiving feedback, and I think. You know, those are really important traits in learning a new skill. Mm. Yeah. Um, I can't let you go without talking about chickens.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Your chickens have become famous. How how has this
0: happened? I don't know. It was crazy. I mean, yeah, just um, we moved to a place that had chickens and I ended up adopting like 10 of them and just becoming this crazy chicken lady and I never saw that for myself. But, yeah, I'm really looking forward to catch up with Helen and Debbie. And I phoned my mum the other day and realised, you know, the chickens are at my mum's next door neighbor's house. And I gasped because I realised that, like, I could see the chickens when I went to visit mum. And she was like, are you gasping because you're excited to see me or the chickens? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm looking forward to actually seeing Helen and Debbie and, um... I'm interested to see if they'll recognize me, actually.
1: Yeah. Mm. Good to know that Helen and Debbie are still thriving, though. They're living their best
0: lives. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Luca, before I let you go, um, yeah, what would – this is a very deep question. To put uh-huh. on it. What would 32-year-old four-time Olympian Luca Jones tell 18-year-old Luca about to go for the first time at – and and heading off into this wild adventure I guess wow
0: yeah that is an interesting question Mm. I think I'd say like just go for it Luca like just put everything into it and see where it takes you yeah I I don't think I'd change anything about um the path that I've been on it's been pretty crazy it's been exciting and it's taught me a lot of things
1: well, it's been awesome to watch and we get to do it all for another whole cycle. So <laughs> thank you so much for your openness, um, your time and having a chat with me on Trailblazers. Thanks, Luca. Thanks for having me, Ricky.